Welcome to the Freedom to Coach podcast with Gemma and Makala. We're both coaches and entrepreneurs, passionate about teaching you how to set up and run your coaching business, create more time and manage your mind. Because you're changing the world one mind at a time. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Freedom to Coach podcast. Today you've got Makala. And I have a special guest with me, Tracy Groombridge. Now, Tracy is a trainer with Lifeline Tasmania, and she also has her own business as a well-being mentor for women. And I met Tracy early last year when I intended, attended a mental health first aid course that she was running. And I wanted to get her on the podcast today to talk a bit about some of the red flags that we as coaches should be keeping an eye out for with our clients and also what we should do when we spot them. But I also wanted Tracy to talk about burnout as a small business owner and how to spot the signs and what we can do to help avoid it. Because I know that a lot of coaches, when we first start out in business, we're also juggling a full-time job. And so trying to run a full-time job as well as get our coaching business up and happening and do coaching practice, It can be a lot and it can be very exhausting and time consuming and go into our nights and weekends. And it's really important that we look after ourselves. And Tracy knows a lot about all of this sort of stuff. So I thought she's the perfect person to speak with us. So welcome to the podcast, Tracy. Thank you, Makala. Appreciate it, um, that big intro. When you say that I'm the perfect person to talk about it, um, yeah, I do know a lot about it, but like everyone, I'm a bit of a work in progress as well because it's it's a bit like staying mentally healthy in business is a bit like uh, having to consistently go for a run. So, you know, so you've got to keep fit basically. Yep. And sometimes I don't do it well either. So I just wanted to put that out there that I'm, I might be an expert in the knowledge part of it, but it's the doing part that's the hard part. I think that that's the case with all of us. Like even, you know, as coaches, we know how to apply the things that we've learned for ourselves and our clients. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're that good at doing it all the time. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to let you know that I'm human. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Tracy, can you tell us, I've given just a really brief introduction to what you do. Can you tell us a bit more about what it is you do and how you got into it? Yeah, sure. Oh, how I got into it. Um, So I got into it very young, into the field of mental health, about 19, 20 years of age. So I started working in in the field then and I, I did my Diploma in Community Service and Social Science, and I went straight into the fry pan, starting to work in domestic violence and homelessness, etc. But um, so that's kind of how I started. But um, then I kind of had kids, and then I experienced some mental um, illness myself, which wasn't great um, a couple of times in my life. So I guess that's why I'm really passionate about it because I've experienced it and it's much easier to talk to and to talk about what to do and how to help if you have experienced it, I guess. Um, Yeah, and my role at the moment is trainer at Lifeline Tasmania. 
so I undertake all sorts of training in mental health. So mental health first aid, I do trauma-informed practice, I do domestic violence training. So all those types of trainings um, with Lifeline. And I'm also a small business owner. So I run retreats for women, as you mentioned. Um, and so I do that on the side. So I'm not unlike a lot of your listeners in that I'm trying to do a, a full-time job and also run my own business on the side. Hmm. So, Tracy, can you tell us a bit, like as coaches, the ideal situation is that we work with clients who are, um, and please forgive me and correct me if I'm not using the correct terminology, but the idea is that we work with clients who are um, functional. So they're functioning well in life and we basically help them take what they're doing or what they want to do to the next level. Yeah. But sometimes we can come across clients or clients can, you know, sort of get into a position where they're not functioning as well, that they're starting to struggle with things like anxiety and depression. And and as a coach, we have been, I suppose we're encouraged to, guide those people towards mental health professionals or other healthcare professionals who can actually help them and help them become um, stabilised. But it can be interesting or it can be difficult sometimes to actually identify when a client is sort of there, if that makes sense. Like I've worked with, I had one individual in particular that I worked with that um every week because we just get together once a week for a session and they'd be absolutely fine in the session. Like that's the way they'd sort of come across. And then a few weeks later they sort of emailed me and just said, oh, I just need to stop for a period of time. Like it just, for me, it was totally out of the blue. Um, and it's because they were having some real issues with depression underneath that. But I, I was really surprised because I never picked up on it during the sessions. It wasn't something that really stood out to me as such. And thinking back, I kind of think, well, maybe there were some red flags there that I just, you know, wasn't quite picking up on. So mm. can you talk a bit about what it is that we as coaches can look out for in our clients? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Can we go back to when you talked about you work with functional people? Mm-hmm. Because that's an interesting one in itself because um, functional, uh, don't forget that if we're talking about functional people um, as opposed to, I guess, dysfunctional, which I don't love that word. No. Um, don't forget that a lot of people who are high-functioning are often prime candidates for things like high levels of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Forget that. We forget that, you know, because they're presenting as functional, um, we forget that, oh, perhaps, you know, that there is some stuff there that they're really grappling with. Mm-hmm. So high functioning in particular is one of those um, things that correlates with, um, you know, anxiety disorders. So right. that's to think about. Um, 
In terms of how you as a coach um, look at some of those red flags, I, I guess it goes back to your first meeting with them. Mm-hmm. So it's about weaving in somehow um, a conversation about how you do mental health as a coach. Mm-hmm. And you've done the mental health first aid course, so you're ahead of the game. You're yeah. ahead of most. So you've got that background. Um, but it's about, I think it's about weaving in about how you as a coach view mental health and mental illness and about talking about in that very first session. So here's, um, here's how I see it. And I want you to know that if at any stage you feel like you're struggling, that just let's have an open conversation about it because I might, you know, if you've suffered from mental illness before, it's good to just let them know that because that breaks down the stigma for them to say something. Because mm-hmm. you thinking you've got it all together, you know what you're doing, you're a coach, you're absolutely on top of your game in every compartment of your life, and there's just no way that they're going to say to you, well, I'm actually struggling a bit, you know. So sometimes you you being honest about saying, look, I want to have a really honest conversation about mental health because it's such a massive part of our life and it's such a massive part of business. Mm. I just want you to know that if at all you're ever feeling like this isn't working in a session or you're feeling like you're getting overwhelmed, just let's have a chat about it because I might be able to help in some way or if I can't help, I might be able to point you to someone who can help. So I think it goes back to that very first session and and my experience is people lack two things uh, to talk about mental health and one is confidence because they're worried that what if I say, you know, what if I don't have the words and what if I, what, what do I say and how do I say it? And the other thing is they worry about the knowledge they're giving. Like, am I giving the right knowledge? Am I making it worse? Am I doing more harm? And I think that's why things like mental health first aid is a good starting point for coaches to do because it gives you that language to mm. talk and it also gives you confidence. Oh, I do know this stuff and I can talk about it just like I talk about physical health. Yeah. So um, I think it goes right back to the start, setting it up and being having a mentally healthy conversation. Uh, a lot of people probably think, well, why would I be talking about mental health if someone's coming to talk to me about business? Well, I think you can kind of weave it in and, and talk about it in terms of health overall and mm-hmm. say, look, we know that for you, in order for you to function well as a business person, particularly because you've got a full-time job and you're trying to do this on the, on the side, uh, let's just open up the conversation now and I want you to know that I'm open to talk about mental health. So if you feel like you're floundering or whatever, um, just I'm not an expert in it, but what I can do know is that um, there are some people that might be able to help if we find ourselves in that situation. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> I think that is fantastic advice, really adding that into the first conversation. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you just need a little script or you need something, some way to kind of weave it in. And I think that's why you reach out to mental health professionals and say, how can I weave this into my first conversation with my client? Mm. And, and we'll help you out. We always do. So as other coaches, because we our audience is across Australia and the US, um, where where are some places that, like, I mean, I would go to you. You're my first stop. 
um, or Lifeline Tasmania. But what are some other organisations, maybe Australia-wide or worldwide, that our coaches could reach out to for this support or training? Oh, my goodness. You put me on the spot there. Um, (laughs) So I think you're still better off reaching out to a Lifeline or a Headspace or... um, you know, one of those major national organisations because they will have really good resources on where to get help, not only in, not only nationally but internationally as well. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're, say, you're working with someone in New York and you want to know where to get help around that, just ring someone at Lifeline or Headspace or one of the different charities, you know, and say, look, where can I get help internationally? Um, because most of the time they'll have some sort of idea of what services are out there. If you want to look nationally across the country, Lifeline has a, an actual website that's called Lifeline, I think it's called Lifeline Service Seeker. Mm-hmm. Might, might be wrong, so I might have to get back to you on that and put that in the notes. But um, it's a, just a website and you can just do that and it brings up every service in Australia um, around mental health and their phone number and their website and where they are. So um, that's a really good one as well. But I think also, um, you know, if if you're dealing with someone internationally, one of the things we've got to be aware about is cultural differences. So Mm -hmm. I was working with someone once in Taiwan. And what I failed to realise was that this person didn't, necessarily have a language around what was happening to her. So she was experiencing high levels of anxiety, but she actually didn't have a language around it because her family and the culture there didn't recognise anxiety. So what I failed to realise was that there were cultural differences that we had to unpack first before we could even have a conversation about mental health. Um, And that might be the case if you're working internationally as a coach too. Just do some reading or find out from the person that you're working with how their country and how their family view mental illness. Because if the the higher the shame and stigma, the more difficult it is for them to even start a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. So, again, is that something that you'd sort of weave into that initial conversation, do you think? Yeah, I think if you do your homework, just have a look and see, um, you know, just do a quick Google search. How does, you know, Southeast Asia view mental illness? Um, but do that, but also have a conversation with them about, like, I just want to bring up the, the I want to talk about mental illness or mental um, health, and I'm just wondering how your country views it, um, just so that we can get on the, just so I don't make any assumptions about what it's like in your country around mental health. Mm-hmm. So just opening up that conversation and just asking that question, I think really helps mm-hmm. make assumptions about that. Because if you start talking about mental health and whatnot, they, they might actually really quickly close down because they're like, uh, this, I'm, we don't talk about this. This mm. isn't something. Um, and yeah, so just just check in with them. Say, look, this is part of my first. This is part of my first deployment. I usually talk about mental health, but given that you're in a different country, can you tell me a little bit about how it's viewed in your country? 
and start the conversation. That's fantastic advice. Thank you for that. Most of the time in Western countries, it's fairly similar, you know. So there's still a level of stigma in Western countries around disclosing any mental illness, mm-hmm. especially in workplaces. But um, in terms of other countries, it's it's really a taboo topic still in some countries. So, yeah. And even mentioning the word is like, um, you know, the person takes that as a, as a complete, um, uh, you know, that you're putting a stigma on them. Mm. So, Tracy, in um, sessions with our clients, what are some things we can start to look out for that might give us, start to give us a bit of an indication that our client is struggling with their mental health? Yeah, it's a tough one because you probably, like you said, only see them uh, an hour a week or something. Yeah. Yeah. So the tricky thing is, so first of all, it's opening up and saying I'm open to the conversation. Yeah. But the second part is getting to know them because it's really hard to find differences in behaviour if you don't know them that well. Mm-hmm. So, and you're only, so I think it's about, and you probably do that really well as a coach, you probably find a way to build rapport really quickly and get them to trust you and um, get to know them really quite quickly. And because it's an intimate relationship in coach and um, the other person, they're probably more likely to, to open up a bit quicker than say they would to someone else. Mm. So you're lucky in that respect in that you're building rapport and trust on a regu- you know, quite quickly and on a regular basis. And the, the type of work you're doing means that they are trusting you. So that's a privileged position. And so I would suggest you can't kind of pick up red flags until you get to know them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know what normal, the normal behaviour or your, the, the, you know, the baseline is. Yeah. For example, if they're really, really talkative, um, you know, and then suddenly they become not talkative, you wouldn't know that until you've you've spoken to them for a while. Mm. Often, people when they have when they're feeling mentally unwell, um, it's really individual what they do. But one of the common ones is that they will retreat and isolate themselves, and might just instead of reaching out with a phone call or a or Zoom call, they might just message you and say, "I just need some time." Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody says that. Um, and you've been working with them for a while and you've had the conversation up front about mental health, you can always remind them. You can always say, hey, don't forget, remember in the very first session we talked about mental health and that if you're struggling at all, which is really normal for a lot of people, um, just let me know and I might be able to help in some way. I might be able to, to, to you know, just let me know if that's the case. Um, it's confidential. I'm not going to tell anyone what's going on for you, but you probably already talk about that anyway. Yeah. So I think um, when someone messages you and say they need some space or they need a break, just say, I just want to check in that you're all okay because I know mental health is really common, but poor mental health is really common. 
Because remember, there's a difference between mental health and uh, mental illness. Mm -hmm. We talked about. Um, just want to check in. I know it's really common, and I, I just want to know if there's anything I can do because I have done the mental health first aid course, and I do know some people that can help. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that's enough, and they might say, "No, nah, I'm good for now," or. Um, yeah, I actually do need some help. I don't know where to go and I don't know what to do. And that's where you don't need to panic because you don't need to solve it as a coach. All yep. you need to probably ring Lifeline or ring someone and say, hey, I've got this client, they need some help. Where do you think the best place for them to go is or to reach out? And just check that um, how long it takes to get help as well. Mm, that's, that's a very good point. You don't want to, you don't, as a coach, you don't want to set them up and say, I can get you help tomorrow. Yeah. Because you can't, you may not be able to. So you can just say in general, if you just remember, I've got some resources I can call on if you need some support. The other thing you could remind them as a coach is that although it's really, really hard when you're feeling unwell, connection is one of those things that keeps us healthy. Mm -hmm. And it keeps us it's a protective factor and we know if people just have one person they can reach out to that's enough to keep people buoyant mm -hmm. you know to okay and safe and so connection's really important what I sometimes say to people is I know it's really tough getting out of bed and getting moving when you feel really crap but sometimes just going out for a lot or even inviting someone over for like 30-minute coffee, it can just make the difference to your day, you know. So connection is a really critical protective factor. When we say red flags, there are some things to look out for, but there are also some things that are really individual to people. So, like, for example, you know, one of my friends, if they get unwell, they might really... Um, uh, dive into things and start talking fast or, you know, whereas other friends might retreat. So it is very individual in that respect. But having said that, there are some things we know in general that, that happens when people are unwell. Mm -hmm. So people might start being quite uh, pessimistic in their future thinking. So that might be something that you could pick up on as a coach, that they've really optimistic and positive and now they're starting to either not talk about the future or when they talk about the future it's very pessimistic and worrisome mm -hmm. so that might be a change and particularly where anxiety is concerned that might happen um with so with depression because i'll talk about the two most common depression and anxiety with depression there's two things that are really prevalent when someone's depressed, and that is a sense of hopelessness and a sense of worthlessness. Mm -hmm. And those two combinations together are not great. And that's where people need to actually reach out for help if they've got those two things happening. As a coach, though, there's two things in those words that you guys can do. So one is if you break down hopelessness and, and the opposite of that is hope. Being able to give a little bit of hope to the future 
you know, to be, not being Pollyanna about it and going, it'll be all be fine, don't worry about it. You know, it's more about, you know, hey, let's focus on this really great win that you've had. Let's focus on this thing because this is really important. You've, you've put a lot of effort in here and there's some really good stuff in the future here. So just offering those little glimmers of hope. Mm-hmm. And if someone is feeling bad, reminding them that it's not going to stay forever, that, that there is hope of recovery and there is hope that you can feel better again. So that's one thing a coach can do around hope. And the other word is worthlessness. And if you break that down and you look at the opposite of worthlessness, it's worth. And helping to build somebody's worth will help their mental health. Um, And you can do that in really simple ways by, from a strengths-based perspective, just pulling out some of their strengths. Oh, my God, you're feeling crap and you got here to this meeting today. I'm so well done. That's amazing. Because I know what it's like when you're feeling really crap and you can't you don't want to meet up with someone. So I just want to congratulate you for doing that first. So those little steps are really important to acknowledge. But also that's your that's your wheelhouse building worth. Mm. You know, so as coaches, you guys are experts in that. So you're well-placed to help someone who's probably suffering from depression because you're helping to build their worth and you're giving them a level of hope about the future. And they're really good things. So hopefully when they leave you, they're coming away feeling lighter and a bit better about those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can even have a discussion about that, you know. Tell me about how worthy you feel in your business. What does that mean to you? What does that look like? And you can, you can start that as a conversation if you feel like that's a good place to start and you have the confidence to do that. Um, and tell me about hope. And they might say things like, well, at the moment I'm really struggling for hope. And you can say, well, that's okay because at the moment I can help you with that and we can, we can start to, to, to build some hope. So those two things for coaches I think are really important if mm. someone's suffering depression. You don't have to fix it at all. You don't have to be a therapist. But having a conversation about that in terms of business might actually help their mental health as well. Yeah, that that is fantastic advice. And I, I like that you said, you know, we're not, like this is something that we do to, um, as you said before, to support them and help buoy them yeah. while they're seeking help from a professional as That's well. Right. Yeah. yeah, you're not their therapist. Yes. You need to say that up front in that first meeting. You know, I'm not a therapist and, and I'll tell you if if we're getting into an area where I just know I'm out of my depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good to say that. It's good to say, this sounds like something way out of my depth, but I do think I know some people who might be able to help. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to put those boundaries in place. Um, so depression, <clears throat> anxiety. I think some of the red flags are that when you're suffering from really bad anxiety, it's really hard to reach out to people and to have words to say how it feels. Uh, so someone was telling me yesterday they were struggling to find the words to tell someone in their life that what anxiety felt like. 
And if that's the, the crux of anxiety, sometimes you just don't have the words to be able to say what it feels like. And for some people, it's overwhelming worry um, about the future, whereas depression is in the past often. Um, mm. That overwhelming worry and the what ifs and the constant ruminating on thoughts in the future around anxiety and trying to, to manage that. Um, I think the most important thing with anxiety is you make someone feel comfortable and safe <clears throat> because in themselves they're not feeling safe because their mind is going over and over again about all the things that could go wrong. And so safe in a coaching perspective would be, you know, having, having that conversation up front about mental health, um, making sure that, that, they, that you notice if you need a break, mm -hmm. if you feel, you know, a bit overwhelmed or whatever, and you say, let's just take a moment because there's a lot, lot that I've just said or there's a lot that we've looked at. And also saying it's really normal to feel anxious as well and having a discussion about what makes you feel anxious in business. And it's really not, it's, a, it's actually a really normal process anxiety. It becomes problematic or impactful when it gets up the other end and people can't sleep and it overwhelms them in life. And that's where people need to get help. Um, sometimes people will have panic attacks, but again, panic attacks can look really different to different people. So for some people, they might start breathing, you know, their breathing might be really out of whack and they're like, I just can't breathe. I can't, I can't get enough air in or my chest feels like it's heavy. And for other people, they have silent panic attacks internally. They're just, they're, their cortisol and their adrenaline's overtaking and they feel awful on the inside, but on the outside, they look fine. And that's that high functioning anxiety mm -hmm. that, they look like they've got it together, they're functioning well, but on the inside, their system's in panic. Um, so I think the most important thing with anxiety is don't assume. Um, say to people, are you feeling anxious at the moment? And use those words, use, or are you feeling scared about this? Because I sometimes have a problem with over-pathologising a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, in the trauma work that I do, it's really important that we don't over-pathologise a lot of things. And I think we've lost some of our feeling words. I'm, you, I'm reading Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown at the moment. Mm -hmm. He digs in deep to emotions. And one of the things that I've found is that, for example, if your dog is frightened of fireworks, what do we do with the dog? We pat it and hold it and touch it and speak um, calmly and gently to it. Yeah, and we bring it inside. We don't say the dog's got an anxiety disorder. We say the dog's scared of the fireworks. Mm. And sometimes we lose the ability to, to get back to saying, I'm scared, rather than saying it's my anxiety that's taking over. Mm. So when you, we say my anxiety is taking over, um, unfortunately, within that becomes our identity and it's really hard to break away from that. But if we just talk about emotions, like I'm scared that this is happening and I'm scared I might lose my business or I'm scared that I might put myself into debt or burn myself out, et cetera. 
So getting back to those feeling words, and as a coach, you can ask questions like, what are you most afraid of? What are you scared of? What's happening here? Because those feeling words, are, uh, we're getting further away from it and we're pathologizing a lot of stuff. So uh, mm, that, that's actually a really good point um, to when people say that something is making them feel anxious, I guess, to ask the question, well, is it, I, is it that you're feeling anxious or is it that there's something in there that is making you feel scared? Because a lot of the times we do, you know, if someone says anxious, then we just stick to the conversation around that. But like you've pointed out, um, it can, can actually be a fear. Yeah, it could be a fear. Yeah. So sometimes just asking that question is, is a good thing to do as well. Mm. Um, and just challenging when people say, you know, my anxiety. And I often say to people, I mean, this wouldn't be for a coach to say because you're not therapists or whatever, but I often say to people, be careful, you know, tell me about what the anxiety looks like when it comes around. Because then you're externalising this thing. There's a really great book called Living With It and it's a little cartoon Ooh. book. I and have that for my, my kids. It's great, isn't it? And it's a little book and it talks about this it thing that comes around and that's the anxiety that comes around and attaches itself to you. Because what's been happening in the world, I think, sometimes is that people are starting to attach an anxiety disorder to who they are. Mm. It's like my anxiety disorder and um, my anxiety and it, it becomes part of their identity. And then it's really hard to figure out who you are. Mm. So getting back to feeling words is, I think, is a good start. You know, it's a good start, you know, to figure out what am I scared of here? What's happening, et cetera. Um, yeah. Anxiety is a tricky one because people go to great lengths to hide it as well sometimes. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, I'm, I'm just around stigma. The biggest challenge for you as coaches is the fact that um, stigma still exists. Not so much with anxiety and depression these days, although it is still there. Don't get me wrong. We've made headway, but it's still there. So stigma is the biggest problem because people won't talk about it because they feel like then it's a reflection on who they are. Mm. Just not the case. We all experience fear. We all experience feeling sad and depressed, etc. Um, the human emotions that we all feel. Yeah, so... Um, no, that's good. And I think that all that comes back around to, as you were saying before, that initial conversation, really. Yeah. Um, like that, I think that's the biggest thing I've taken away from what you've said so far. It's the importance of including that in the initial conversation. Yeah, just breaking it down, just mm. saying, hey, always open to a conversation about mental health because it's so important in business. Mm. You, especially for your clients who are trying to juggle a full time job and um, a business as well mm. but it comes up to like you know we've if you're a weight loss coach then people often yeah. have you know anxiety and depression around their body shape and their size and Absolutely. yeah all sorts of coaching it really 
I think yes. that would that's a really valuable tool for us as coaches to adopt to really make that part of the initial session. I think that's brilliant. Well, what I'll say about that is it is, is important for coaches to have that baseline knowledge and that baseline information. And that's where mental health first aid, I think, gives people that. It mm. gives them to baseline. But more than that, it gives you a confidence to know, oh, I can talk about this. Yes. Looking as a coach, what are the baseline training or what is the what do I actually need to know to have this conversation yeah because we do in I know a lot of the training programs they you have to do a suicide awareness component which is great but the when I compare uh, because you know I did the mental health first aid training which I think was two full days yes was and these other like the um, suicide awareness options that are available are like one or two hours. Yeah. I really found the value in getting all of the information, like doing the two full days because you, we talked about so much more. Yeah. Um, And that I think really for me built up the confidence that, you know, I mean, for starters, I'm I'm comfortable speaking about it. Yeah. And also I know that there are the reasons. Like I know that if a client breaks down in tears that it's all okay, that I know what yeah. to do, I know what's available, I know how I can help them and help get them help, find the sort of help that they need and help get them to the point where they engage with that assistance. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I I think it's, I think it's a brilliant program, Mental Health First Aid. And I will put some, I'll put these links that you've spoken about into the, um, the show notes if people want to access them and have a look at them for themselves. So Tracy, can we talk a bit more about juggling how best to sort of set yourself up to be able to juggle life and business and do it in a healthy way. Yeah, sure. We can talk about it. I'm a, I'm a work in progress, like I said. Oh, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always trying to uh, practice what I preach, but sometimes I, I forget. Uh, yeah, I think burnout, you know, is a really interesting thing because a burnout tends to go, tends to happen over a long period of time. So people don't know that they're burning out and a lot of people don't feel confident to tell people they're burning out so you might see it in people you might say hey you've got a lot on I I can see that you're really struggling to juggle all of this stuff how's that impacting on you what does that look like when you can't sleep at night and when you you know you you are drinking too much or etc so I think first, there's two things. One, I think people fail to to notice that they're burning out because they're in it. Mm -hmm. And two, I think people around them struggle to call call it out or say, hey, you need to take a step back or you need to take a break or you need something needs to change here because I'm worried about you. And that happens a lot in workplaces. So many people burn out and people don't have that hard conversation with them. Mm, that's true. The other thing about burnout that I really read the other day that I really love, it's 
it's about the fact that the reason people burn out is because they end up doing a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't have as much meaning to them and they don't get to do the stuff that it gives them meaning and reinvigorates them and makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that. I mean, there's heaps of definitions out there about burnout, clinical ones, non-clinical, but I kind of like this definition because it talks about the fact that we invest so much energy in doing all the things that really don't, um, don't inspire us, don't make us feel great, um, you know, that we have to do, but then we only get a small amount of time to do the things that um, feed us, that, you know, that actually feed our soul and make us feel good and make us reignite with who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's when our life gets unbalanced like that. That's where burnout starts to creep in. Mm. And I know for me, I have to constantly take a step back and reevaluate and go, hold on a minute. Are you doing the stuff that really feeds you here? Or you're doing all of the stuff that, that really, um, uh, extracts from you, takes away from you and makes you feel not great all the time. Um, there's, there's a certain amount of that stuff that we have to do. Like you have to have to do certain things that you don't want to do, but you've got to balance it up with the stuff that really makes you feel good about who you are and what, and what, you, what gives you that sense of, oh, my God, I'm alive and I really I love doing this. Mm. So I think that's the key to burnout, that balancing act. Um, and making sure you're feeding your soul with that really good stuff. For me, it's the creative stuff. You know, if I'm constantly in processes and I'm constantly in, um, got my head down and I'm grinding away and I can't look up and I haven't done any creative stuff or I haven't been able to engage in anything creative, then I know I'm not in a good headspace and I'm spending a lot of time doing that other stuff and no time feeding myself Mm. and something that I find because I like I I spent a lot of years working um in the health industry like working with doctors and nurses and allied health professionals and me myself you know I know is I'm a coach because I want to help people I want people to see their potential and to you know move towards that and create the life that they really want to live and for me I have to be really careful that I don't spend all of my time in coach mode like for me creating can be um, putting together a um, like a video series explaining a concept or I can get caught up in that and I can spend a lot of time doing that or I could read a lot of books on the sort of stuff I'm passionate about in my business and the stuff I teach. But I have to be really careful to not just read about that stuff. Like I have to stop and read some fiction stuff and read some pleasure stuff because I'm the type of person that can be very prone to, like I could sit down, wake up on a Sunday morning, sit out on the deck with my cup of coffee and write a blog post because it had just come to me and inspire me. And then that could lead to another work thing and then another work thing and then another work thing. And even though I'm enjoying it, I then get to the end of my Sunday and it's 
I'm actually tired because I've done all this work yeah. stuff. I haven't had a day of enjoyable stuff or, yeah. you know, kind of, yeah, rest. I haven't, my brain has been going and I've enjoyed it and I've loved it, but yeah, it hasn't actually rested. I haven't actually had any downtime away from my business. And I think sometimes people don't know enough about themselves to know what that rest look, looks like. Ooh. Sometimes people um, haven't done, haven't thought about what does it look like when I'm in a really good contented state where I just am resting. Um, and for me, as a person on the go all the time, I actually had to get comfortable with resting because I didn't, I found it anxiety provoking. Oh, really? So I had to learn to actually, I had to learn every, every annual leave. I spend the first week trying to figure out how to wind down again. And because you have to learn how to rest. And I'm in the business of slowing down because I run retreats. Mm -hmm. Gee, it's a hard sell out there in the world. <laughs> people are like, slow down. What do you mean? I can't slow down. And I'm like, you have to slow down in order for you not to bust a pooper. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have to slow down in order for your brain to be able to think clearly again. You have to slow down in order for your body to catch up. Mm. Learning that, and we think we can just, you know, we think, oh, it'll be fine. Once I stop, I'll slow down. But you actually have to coach yourself to slow down. Mm. You have to to be mind like you said you have to be mindful on a Sunday not to let it you know keep going and keep going you actually have to take a step back and go hold on a minute let's just do nothing for half an hour or an hour mm. just go. yes so I think um I th I think this cell of slowing down is challenging but gee I love talking about it because so many people out there in the world don't are not getting it and they're not understanding that they can't keep going and going and going and going because that'll end up with high levels of cortisol in your system, high levels of adrenaline. And we know that leads to you know, chronic illness. And that's what happens with professionals, particularly in those high, you know, those high impact jobs in hospitals and health departments and places like that. It's just go, 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 go. Like there's no chance to even reflect on what you're doing after time. Yeah. So trying to convince people to invest in taking, because my retreat's only two days, trying to get them to invest to take two days out for themselves, just to pull back and just concentrate on themselves and be looked after and relaxed is, I thought it would be an easy sell, but not so much, but Having said that, I'm really, really happy because I don't, I, you don't have to put this in the podcast, but um, this last week I sold all my tickets in one week to the retreat, which fantastic. totally blew my mind. So the message is getting through, I think, that we slow down, people. Slow, have some time to slow down because your mind and your body and your people in your life need you to slow down. And that's fantastic. I think we'll end there. So thank you again, Tracy, for your time and your knowledge um, on all this. I've, there's it's always been, great talking to you. Oh, I, I 
learn so much every time I speak with you. Um, but as I said before, all the things that you've spoken about, uh, the links to particularly that, um, I think it was a lifeline yeah, I'll get that website for you. with the services. Yeah. Yep, we'll pop all of that information in the show notes. And also I'll pop some links to your business and your retreat information if people would like to have a look at that. So yeah, thank you thank again. You. No problems. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more about how we can give you the freedom to coach, then check out our website, www.freedomtocoach.com.au. Until next time, take care and keep on coaching.